This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Improve your health and well-being the natural way with The Medicine Man, next on Plains FM. Good morning everybody, this is Mike McCammon, the Medicine Man, we're back again on Wednesday morning, I hope you're having a great morning. We're going to talk about something pretty interesting today, uh, but I'm going to be pretty bow-minded because we're going to be talking about the digestive system, you know, that thing that we, we never even think about until it goes wrong. Right, so today I'd like to talk about the gut, and uh, of course, if you want to turn the radio off now or change the station, you're welcome to do so, but if you've got any symptoms such as tiredness, irritability, gas, bloat, in fact, about any any symptom, any health irregularity at all, I can promise you there will be a relationship to your gut. So that's quite a statement. Um, now, we look at a human being, we're only basically little, but we've got six metres of this intestinal tract going right through the centre of us, starting at our mouth and ending at the other end. So uh, the, the, it's basically like a forest. But um, have you ever driven from Christchurch over to uh, the West Coast and you'll notice how the flora and fauna, in other words, the plant life, uh, the climate, um, the animals uh, to some extent, uh, how, how the climate feels, the cold, the rain, the wind, you'll see at least four or five different climate zones and different flora and fauna, particularly the fauna. It's quite interesting that in the space of four hours, you can actually spend time in a completely different environment if you're tuned in to notice, of course. Um, and of course, we've got our beach forests and we've got the Canterbury Plains, we've got the limestone country, we've got the wild, windy, we've got, we've got wild rainy west coast bush and the possums and the wickers and the pukekos and so forth. And the, the gut is very much like that. It's an incredibly complex system. In fact, there's no artificial um, molecules that we can actually take to fix it, although it may appear to do that. But, uh, and I'm talking about drugs like um, if you've got bloat, uh, belching syndrome or acid tummy and you take some anti-acid, it's of course the worst thing to do. Now, what has this got to do with a trip from Christchurch to the West Coast? Um, I'm using this analogy, analogy because if you start your car in the, in the mouth and, and drive down all the intestinal system, you're going to have some pretty interesting flora and fauna. So we've got umpteen trillion different types of uh, bacteria. We've got all sorts of um, life in there. So when you're eating something, it's got to be transformed. If you're looking at your cream cake or your coffee or your porridge or your toast or whatever you might have for breakfast, and hopefully you've had it by now, because if you haven't, you're going to have a blood sugar slump about three or four o'clock. So you have been warned, if you're wondering why you're getting tired and irritable by three o'clock. You haven't had a decent breakfast. So that breakfast goes in one end and comes out the other uh, completely different. And in the between times, it turns into something. What does it turn into? It turns into energy, and it turns into um, your own body tissues. How, how does it do that? That's what's fascinating. Let's have a look at how it does that. So digestion really begins on the look of food, on the smell of food, and a little bit of the taste of food. So, you know, if you, if you were served up maybe um, some breakfast, say it was rolled oats 
and it was coloured pink with green stripes. You probably wouldn't eat it. So uh, what what our food appears like gives us the first indication of um, of how we're going to handle it and whether it's good for us, whether it's food or not. And of course, the food there's different tastes of the food once we have tasted it. But the visual look of the food um, is the beginning really of digestion. When it, it gets into the mouth, then starch is digested. But uh, if you eat too fast, the starch will go further down into the tummy. And the tummy is actually, the stomach, should I say, is for di- digesting protein. It's not for digesting starch. So if you're not chewing your meal properly, what, what you're, if you're not chewing your meal properly, what you'll find by the time it gets in the stomach, instead of being digested, it will actually start to ferment. And you wonder why down the other end there's a gas and bloat. So if you're having carbohydrate, it's a very good idea um, not to just wolf it down. And, of course, the problem is with some of these puffy breakfast cereals, um, you really don't get enough time to, to mix it with saliva. So how are you going to deal with that? I would suggest you crack a little bit of black pepper on your, um, on your porridge with a little bit of um, salt and uh, even cinnamon, cloves, cardamom, those sorts of things actually bring digestive heat and help you digest them better. So starch is digested in the mouth on the whole and protein is digested in the stomach. So what happens if you put starch and protein together? The digestive system can sort of uh, take a little bit longer to digest. But nevertheless, it goes through the the acidity of the stomach and then goes passes into the small bowel, and that's called the kitchen area. So the kitchen area extracts all these goodies, the vitamins and minerals, all sorts of um, various various, um, nutrients and energy. And when it gets down to the last um, meter or so of the digestive system, it passes a little valve called the ileocecal valve into the lower bowel, which is the acid waste, which is um, basically the garbage system. Now, if we were to stretch this entire system da- uh, along a line, it's approximately six meters long. So if you've got a digestive system of six meters long, how are you going to fit it into our wee bodies? Well, there's lots of little nooks and crannies, isn't there? It's all folded up. And here's where the problem arise, arises. If you think of what you had for breakfast, and if you think of what you had for lunch, you think what you had for dinner, and put it in a blender and push the button, zzz, what are you going to end up with? Often, depending on what you're eating, but many people will find that they have the finest wallpaper glue you've ever seen. And if you're eating all that stuff every day, and if you're not getting eating it correctly and in the right combination, uh, what can happen, of course, is you get a fermentation further down the intestine and you get this stuff that's very much like wallpaper glue. And uh, I've seen it hundreds or thousands of times in my practice that when we put someone on a cleansing program, uh, some of the, the, the most ghastly material can come out of the, the nicest people. So with all those little nooks and crannies, we get this um, toxic build-up, um, and it, it's, it's so in evidence. It, just, it can't be denied now, no matter how much education someone's had, no matter how many years at medical school or whatever nutritional training, it cannot be denied because we've even had uh, – my teacher actually took photographs of all this stuff after colonic irrigations, and there's a wonderful book by Dr. Bernard Jensen called Tissue Cleansing Through Bowel Management – and actually shows you the the kind of toxins that come out of the nicest people. And uh, there's one picture uh, which is quite fascinating. You can see all these pumpkin seeds in this waste that's been cleaned out of the human bowel, 
and um, the person hadn't eaten, um, no, sorry, they were watermelon seeds. The person hadn't eaten watermelon for over a year. So we have these little pouches in the bowel, and if we're having food that's very low in fibre, and uh, we do, we, we have a fraction of the fibre that our ancestors had, we end up with all sorts of um, weaknesses in our gut. And, of course, this, these weaknesses are passed on genetically. So uh, what happened maybe 100 years ago or maybe less is that people started to eat a lot more grain for breakfast, whereas the old times it was it was bacon and eggs or, or mutton or something that had that protein breakfast. And now we've sort of moved to a carbohydrate breakfast. And I would think that would be the single most disastrous thing that's ever happened to us uh, in the Western world, and particularly good old New Zealand. We were brought up on wheat bix and, you know, even, even good old-fashioned porridge. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole lot better than wheat bix dare I say, but um, we really need to get that protein into us in the morning. And the reason we need to do that is protein gets digested very slowly over about four hours, depending on your digestive system. And that protein eventually turns to energy. So when you're eating a protein breakfast, you get the slow release of energy all through the morning until about one o'clock or two o'clock. And, um, but at least if you can get something else in you between, say, 12 and 2, what you do is you, you've kicked the ball off in the morning, you've, you've, there's the ball on the field, you run up to it, you've given a hell of a boot, and that ball's going to travel quite some way, but if it's soccer, uh, you've got to keep the ball rolling. So once the ball's rolling, you just whip up to it and give it another tap, so you have another bit of protein and some carbohydrate in the middle of the day, something green, and you'll, you'll last the day rather well because you've got all that energy and that slow release of energy. At the end of the day, it's a good idea to try and eat before 8 o'clock because if you eat after 8 o'clock, the digestive system shuts down. Now, I've said this across the board as a kind of a generic statement, but of course, when a person comes to see me, we've got um, different types of individuals and different types of individuals have different lengths of colon, believe it or not. Some people it's 6 metres, some people it's 4 metres, some people it can be as long as 10 metres. So we have this incredible individual variation. So not only do we have differences in digestive um, strength and constitution, we also have four different blood groups and we've also got seven different body types. So what is naturopathy? It's all about your individuality. What makes you? In these radio talks, we're really trying to say what are the basic principles, but when it comes to a naturopathic uh, consultation, um, we make sure that we're dealing with you, not the disease itself. It doesn't matter what disease you come with, but the first thing we're going to look at is your digestive system. So your individuality depends a lot on how you're brought up, uh, what foods you ate, what things you love. Uh, what is your blood group and what is your body type? Now, I've talked a little bit about blood groups. I've talked a little bit about, in fact, I've done uh, one, set one talk on body types. Uh, I'd like to talk about perhaps one of the most common blood groups or, or a blood group O. Let's face it, it is the most common. I think 60% of us are blood group O. So let's just give an example of someone who would come into my practice. They've got a blood group O and let's say they're a pitta um, body type for those people that are up with the talks. The first thing about blood group O's we need to remember is that they are the, it is the oldest blood group. So uh, for at least 40,000 years, human beings did not have grain. We were hunters and we were gatherers and we, we uh, moved with the seasons. If we're American Indians, we moved with the buffalo uh, uh, and some of the, the African native tribes moved with the herds. So... As those herds are travelling over different terrain, they're eating different foods, and those different foods contain different nutrients. So if you imagine you're, you're, you're killing a wild animal and uh, the meat is going to be very, very high quality, 
Uh, it's not going to be just one mono mono crop like um, grass. It's going to be all sorts of different weeds that contain different nutrients and very high mineralized meat. Uh, so the meat itself has a certain strength when these people uh, butchered the meat they would eat first of all they would go for the liver that would be a really important food so the the nursing mums and the pregnant mums would get all the would get the liver as as a great honor because it's so rich in b12 now these are not ignorant savages are they they had found out through simply survival that if they didn't eat that they wouldn't survive so we've had the longest clinical trial in history is basically the history of human beings over time so um, the traditional diets have given us um, a good indication of what we should eat. So if you're a blood group O, uh, then you should really be on what we call a paleolithic diet, which is hunter and gatherer, and zero grain. Yep, that's zero grain. No grain at all, you'll thrive the best. Uh, that's quite a statement, isn't it? But um, uh, it's true. It's absolutely true. You thrive uh, when you don't eat grain. There may be a couple of grains like millet uh, and buckwheat, um, amaranth, there may be some grains you can get away with, but not too many grains. Uh, in fact, you're much better without the grains. So how do you know your blood group? If you don't know your blood group, then give um, New Zealand Herbals a call. Call up Celia or Ursi on 332-1786. Give them a ring and make an appointment with Ursi, our naturopath there, and she'll take your blood group and tell you what blood group you are and accordingly help to design a program that fits for you. She'll also know your body type and make up a very individual program for you, and you'll thrive. If you're not thriving now, you'll certainly thrive when you have foods that are very individually tailored for you, and it's not hard to do. Ursi uh, is not only a naturopath, but she's also a trained chef. So it's a really wonderful um, combination. Uh, and uh, yes, it's so good to have an individual program because there's no one dietary program for everyone. And this is the problem. You know, we'll look at our food parent when we're all supposed to have this and we're all supposed to have that. But the truth is, it's, it's your needs are completely different than anybody else's. And uh, you're thinking, okay, this is really complicated. It's actually not complicated, it's complex. And the good thing about complexity is that how natural systems work, they're complex, but they're not complicated. You don't have to know everything, but there are some basic principles. And uh, many of you out there, the very foods that you're eating on a daily basis are making you sick. And uh, here's the most horrifying thing. Some of these foods that you're eating, uh, uh, supposedly health foods, I've been told they're really good for you. And unfortunately, that cannot be the whole truth. Uh, it might be half the truth, but I always feel that half a truth is worse than a lie because it can be believed. So for some people, um, nuts and seeds are just perfect. For other people, they will simply turn to poison and give you headaches and make you crook and even give you joint condition you know, problems. For some people, potatoes are the most wonderful foods, but for another, the solanine in the potato and being a member of the nightshade family will aggravate the joints, give you... Uh, aggravate the joints to the point where you could be diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So what creates the basic health of human beings is not, is not just uh, what we think and what we, we, um, we do every day. 
It's what we think, it's what we eat, and it's what we drink on a daily basis. But because it's such an insidious process, you don't actually notice. You just wonder why you're not feeling your best. So isn't it wonderful that there's actually a system, and I call the system naturopathy, which actually looks at a person rather than the disease. No matter what you turn up with, we will look at you as an individual, and that is a very special thing. So going back to the blood group O, and because blood group O is our most common blood group, it's a good one to focus on, uh, which is a paleolithic diet. And if we've, we look at so-called primitive dietary habits, in other words, habits of people before they had contact with Western um, uh, food, if we can call it food, uh, I talked a lot about these principles, but I'll go on to it now. I won't, I won't cover the ground I've already covered. But the so-called primitive diets contain at least four times the calcium and other minerals and ten times the fat-soluble vitamins from animal fats. These were for animal fats. We're talking about blood group O, remember. Animal fats are absolutely essential for blood group O. A blood group O, if you're a vegetarian, I can guarantee you you're going to be sick. Or you are not feeling the best right now as you're listening to this. If you're a blood group O and you're vegetarian, it is not a good thing. In fact, if I have a blood group O and they're vegetarian, I'll tend not to want to work with them. I'll tend to say I can't help you because unless you change your diet, um, I can't help you. I can't help you. It'd be different if you're a blood group A, of course. So the, 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 these primitive diets, I said they contain almost 10 times the fat-soluble vitamins from animal fats. And these fats are vitamin A and vitamin D. And, of course, vitamin E, and that's 10 times as much as what the normal kiwi diet contains. So you're not getting all those um, anti-inflammatory processes going on. You're not getting foods that will help to stop inflammation, such as arthritis and diabetes and all that. All all illnesses, believe it or not, that are associated with inflammation. Uh, In traditional cultures, some animal products are, in fact, eaten raw. So raw sushi is really good for you. Um, raw fish, uh, try to have something raw. Um, the, the other thing about traditional diets, they've got a high food enzyme content and they have the, from raw dairy products. This is unpasteurized milk um, because the moment you pasteurize it, you're really killing at least 40 nutrients and unfortunately you're not really having the best out of your milk. Very difficult to assimilate the calcium out of pasteurized milk. In fact, uh, for some people, depending on their body type, of course, the pasteurized product of dairy products, you don't, not only do you not get the calcium from it, but the, the magnetic pull that is created from inactive calcium that doesn't have enzymes associated with it can actually pull the calcium out of your own joints. So we drink more milk, I think, than anyone in the world, and yet we've got amongst the highest cases of osteoporosis. Go figure. If you think you're getting your, your calcium from milk, uh, that's not exactly true. Uh, for some people, yes. For others, and many others, absolutely not. So um, when you have raw food or raw milk, raw dairy products, raw meat, some fish, some raw honey too, by the way, but honey that's unheated, some tropical fruits, if you can get them all tree-ripened, which is difficult, but tree-ripened fruit, cold-pressed oils, some wine and some unpasteurized beer, and we can make our own beer now, can't we? And naturally preserve lacto-fermented vegetables like fruits, vegetables, meats and condiments. These things supply these wonderful things called enzymes and wonderful things that actually feed the gut bacteria. And so in your stomach, or when we go further down into the gut, we have this incredible forest. We have this beautiful rainforest with many, many different canopies of flora.
And uh, we've had this sort of nonsense about fat. I can actually remember when fish and chips used to be cooked in real lard. Uh, and unfortunately, it changed these awful canola oil, dare I say, that um, it's not actually a good thing to cook chips in. Um, so the total fat content of so-called traditional diets varies actually from about 30% up to 80%. Isn't that extraordinary? 80%. How come they all didn't die of heart disease? Well, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't die of heart disease. And some people say, oh, well, they only lived to the average age of 40-something. Uh, that's not quite true. The infant mortality was higher. So the statistics look like they died at 40-something. Uh, but that, not, that isn't necessarily true. Some of our Maori people in the early colonial times um, lived well into their 90s. Um, so there's an, a number of uh, so-called traditional diet, people that are eating traditional diets that are living a very long life. So the statistics have kind of made it look a little bit, you know, have distorted the real truth here. So, um, and only about 4% of calories come from polyunsaturated oils naturally occurring in grains, pulses, nuts, fish, animal fats, vegetables, and so forth. But the balance of the fat calories in the form of saturated and monosaturated fatty acids, um, the, the, the amount of fat uh, saturated to unsaturated fat was actually balanced, and they didn't have instances of heart disease, diabetes, stroke, cancer, <laughs> Alzheimer's, you know, dementia, unknown in people that are eating traditional diets. And uh, who did all this work? This wonderful man called Weston Price, but we'll go on a little bit. So the traditional diet contained nearly equal amounts of what we call omega-6, because you need omega-6, and you also need omega-3 fatty acids. I'm not going to go into all the details of that. Another thing that was really important about these traditional diets, they all contained salt. And um, one of the things that I really don't like to hear in my practice is uh, someone coming in, they might be in their 60s, they might be in their 70s, and they've been on the salt-free diet. And they have problems. They have big problems, right? So uh, I get them on natural salt and maybe Himalayan salt, or it might be Pacific Ocean salt. But the thing is, salt is just one of the most essential items. You know, we've heard... We've heard um, Sayings like, oh, he's worth his salt, you know. And some countries, uh, some cultures in the world today are still using salt as a means of currency. So salt has just absolutely loaded with incredible minerals, at least 42 that we know of in trace minerals. And uh, why would we want to uh, not have salt? Well, there's, a, there's another half-truth here. Um, there is a danger in salt. And the danger of salt is if you process it, if you put it in a kiln that's hot enough to melt steel, as what they do with our salt, it burns up all the nutrients except two. It leaves sodium and, and uh, chlorine behind. And then they need um, free-flowing agents based on you know, aluminium and arsenic compounds, which isn't really a good thing for human consumption. So the pure white deadly stuff I wouldn't touch with a barge pole, but you can go into any supermarket today and get high-quality salt. And I'd suggest the best one is the Himalayan salt. We've got plenty of uh, Pacific Ocean salt. I had to whip up there to uh, Dominion Salt and I had to buy a tonne at a time uh, otherwise, I wasn't allowed to have it because they put it through this um, kiln. So I think we were the first to do that. We we bought in a ton. We had a labour of love with me and my mates got together and bagged it all up for our folk and, and distributed it amongst our patients and our friends to make sure we got really good salt. After that, I saw that it started to appear in the supermarkets, and that was a wonderful thing. So we don't have to do that labour of love anymore. But make sure if you've got pure white deadly salt, I don't know where you can put it, but don't put it back in the sea because it might poison the fish. Um, just do not um, 
Use that pure white and deadly stuff if you want to be healthy. So if you've been told that you, because you've got a heart problem or whatever, that you're not to have salt, it's a pretty dangerous thing to say. I'd say that's bordering on malpractice. You need the salt. Now, if you haven't been having salt, you might want to start slowly with Himalayan or Pacific Ocean salt and um, start put adding it to your meal after you cook. You can put it with you when you cook too. Uh, but remember that um, when you do cook with it, you will lose some of the iodine because iodine is very heat sensitive. So um, I like to put salt on during the meal when you're cooking in a little salt while you're cooking it and always have your salt shaker on the on the table there um, to, to grind it straight onto your food. Um, the other thing about salt is if you're tired, it's a good idea to get a level teaspoon of salt and put it into a glass of warm water every day and just drink it and you'll find uh, it won't take long before your energy is going to pick up. You know, your eyes will get brighter and that's just common old salt. I've talked about water uh, in one radio talk, but just remember that salt is absolutely vital for your health and uh, I could have a, a talk that would probably last about six Wednesdays about the value of salt but I'll try not to bore you all to tears today, and we'll move on. So traditional cultures always have salt. So um, to sum up a little bit, we've got um, the fact that traditional cultures also make provisions for the health of their future generations, and that's a wonderful thing, that um, you're not just doing this for you. So if you're... Um, at an age where you're going to have children, it's a really good idea to really take what I say seriously. And I mean not just the women, I mean the men too. Because what you are eating today is going to become, is going to have an enormous influence on future generations. And we know this because if we look at traditional uh, cultures, uh, my background is in archaeology and anthropology. And I remember I used to work at the Canterbury Museum even from the age of 12, and uh, one of the things we did was um, we had to catalogue all these skulls. And um, there were some, our own indigenous people's skulls in there at the time then we were allowed to have them. Um, and the jaw size was three times my size. Uh, not just, the, I mean, th- three times my size presently. The width of the jaw, no, actually that's an exaggeration, sorry. It's much bigger than my jaw, but I've got a cast from the dentist of my jawbone. And um, from my teeth, and, and uh, if I put them against uh, a traditional jawbone from someone who's brought up on traditional diet, it's twice. Yes, it is. It's twice the size of my lower jaw. And uh, why is that? Because the minerals that they had uh, made the ex- each generation stronger and stronger and stronger. Their bone density was was um, was so much more than modern the modern bone density. They've looked at bone density, and I think it's two to three times the bone density of modern humans when you go back 40,000 years, which is a long time. But the bone density is absolutely wonderful, and these people weren't apes or gorillas. They were modern humans. They all looked like a bit like Arnie. Uh, Arnie Schwarzenegger, they were very strong and very good-looking. So the traditional cultures make provisions for the health of future generations by providing special nutrient-rich foods for parents-to-be pregnant women, growing children, and by proper spacing of children and by teaching the principles of the right diet to the young. So what we're doing today is going to make an enormous difference to future generations. Thanks for tuning in today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Next week, we're going to have someone really interesting. Dinky Featherson's going to talk about emotional freedom technique. And this is the leading, on the leading edge of spiritual and physical and mental 
uh, development, I believe, in, this, in, in Christchurch anyway, and I'd love to interview Dinky Featherston with uh, Emotional Freedom Technique. It's called EFT. So if anyone's interested, tune in next Wednesday and we'll interview Dinky. Bye-bye, everyone. Remember, if you want some more information, just ring us on 332-1786 or go to our website, newzealandherbals.com. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Brother Tony was known to be bony, he would never eat.